So we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're in chapter 6 right now. And the Sermon on the Mount is sort of like the constitution of the kingdom of God, right? It talks about the principles that govern the kingdom of God and how God expects his citizens to function within this, this kingdom, Now, uh, Reggie read for us this small passage from Matthew, which is what we're going to focus on in chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. And in this passage, it reveals the connection between our heart and our resources and possessions. Or let me put it in another way. It reveals the connection between our heart and our wallet. I know there's going to be a touchy subject. Yes. Okay. But there's a connection that's there. And so there's three things, if you see on your notes in, the, in, your, in your bulletin, you'll see these three things that I'd like to look at this morning. And I think it's summarized in this one statement. Um, if I can get the thing on, this, on the back as well too, that'd be great. Um, this summarized in this one statement, and I'm going to read it for you. And if there's anything that you get leaving this, if you can remember this one thing here, it's in your notes as well. Part of kingdom living is to intentionally leverage our resources with a vision of generosity and grace in order to fulfill God's will on earth because Jesus is our Lord. Can can I have everyone just read that together? I think there's power when we all confess that together and read it together. Okay, so on three, we're going to read this together. One, two, three. Part of kingdom living is to intentionally leverage our resources with a vision of generosity and grace in order to fulfill God's will on earth because Jesus is our Lord. So I'm going to sort of break this up into three different sections and talk about this, and I hope that we can keep coming back to the statement in our mind and see how we can actually live this out in our day-to-day lives. And if you're new here, and if you've never um, maybe are just exploring things of of faith and exploring who this Jesus is and what he actually means, I just want to invite you in as we study some of these things to, as we talk about the kind of character and the kind of people that God is looking for us to be, not by our own strength, but by his grace and by his help. Not because we can do anything or not because we are good in and of ourselves, but because of who Jesus is and his help for us. And and, and it's challenging. I'm challenged by some of these things that I'm going to share. So I'm preaching to myself and y'all can listen, listen as well. Okay, so in, in this section in Matthew six nineteen to 24, there's, there's a practice and an action, there's a way and a method, and there's also a reason, right? The practice and action is for us to store up treasure in heaven instead of storing up treasure on earth. The method is through this vision of generosity and grace. And the reason we do all of these things is because Jesus is our Lord, Okay, so these three things, if we can just split them up and talk about the, the practice of it is, is for us in a daily way, in a monthly way, in a, in a yearly way throughout our life to be able to be storing up treasure in heaven more than storing up treasure here on earth. The way that we do this is for God to change our vision and change our heart so that we have a vision of generosity and grace towards others. And also that the reason for all of these things is because Jesus is Lord. So let's unpack this a little bit. So the first part is, where is your treasure? So I have three questions for you. The first question is this, where is your treasure? The contrast in these verses here in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, the contrast is accumulating versus giving, right? Now you might think they're both accumulating. It says storing up treasure on earth, storing up treasure in heaven. But actually storing up treasure on earth is accumulating. Storing up treasure in heaven is actually done by giving, Okay, so Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21, these are the verses there. I won't take time to read it again because we already read it. 
But it talks about this contrast about storing up treasure in earth and storing up treasure in heaven. We, how many know that when we die, we can't take anything with us, right? Everything we have here is going to be left here, right? There's a story of a man uh, when he was dying, and on his deathbed, he called his pastor, his doctor, and his lawyer to his bedside. And he gave each of them $30,000 in cash, and said, I want to take this with me, so when they're lowering the casket, can you throw this in? Right? And the doctor, the lawyer, and the pastor thought it was a little bit weird, but they said, okay. So during the funeral ceremony, after the ceremony, they're lowering the casket in, and the pastor, he drops his envelope in, and as it's going down, the doctor drops his envelope in, and as it's going down, the lawyer drops his envelope in. But then after the burial and everything, the pastor was feeling a little bit convicted, So he went and told the other two, he said, I have a confession to make. You know, the church needed some money, so I took out 10,000 and I just dropped in 20. The doctor said, you know, I'm trying to build a clinic, so, you know, I took out 20 and just dropped in 10. The lawyer said, he's like, I can't believe you guys. I just wrote the guy a personal check, kept the cash, and threw the check in. (laughs) But do you see how... This man who was dying wanted somehow to keep his riches. The lawyer at least had enough sense to say, hey, you're, this is just going to rot down there. Let me use it, right? We, we all have treasure in our life. We keep it in a safe place, maybe in a bank or sometimes in a prominent place in our house, right? I'm not just talking about money, but maybe pictures, sentimental items, memories, reputations, um, relationships. These are treasures that we have right? Sometimes when people go to war, they carry around something that's very special, maybe a picture. And at all costs, they don't want to lose that picture or that treasure. My nephew, he's almost two years old, and he has a treasure, and that's his teddy bear, right? And it's so important to him, so much so that his parents have bought multiple teddy bears that look the exact same, because in case something happens to one, they have a backup that looks exactly the same, because he loves his teddy bear, right? In verse 22, it talks about where your treasure is. The thing that we need to treasure the most is Jesus and our relationship with him. We, we need to do that by loving him, by, by growing deeper and deeper with him. In verse 22, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So the question is, is our heart with Jesus or is it with someone else or with something else? The, the first thing that the Lord says here is don't store up treasure on earth where things can be destroyed. He gives a picture of moths and vermin or another translation says rust. And the picture here is that things get worn away, right? Um, the things are temporary, that they won't last forever. They will eventually wear out. In ancient times, people used to keep their possessions with them. They didn't have banks to put them in or anything like that or a safety deposit box, but they kept them with them. And, and over time, things started to get worn out. So this was something very real for them. The idea of robbery was, was very real for them as it is for us. And that's why Jesus says here where thieves can't be, uh, break through or steal. We can't build our happiness. We can't build our hope or pleasure on these type of things because they are temporary. They wear away and they can be stolen. When we die, we can't take anything with us. You know, the ancient Egyptians, the pharaohs, do you know what they did when they were buried? They were buried with so much wealth and riches because they thought, I'm going to take this into the afterlife, right? Till today, it's either been robbed or stolen, or maybe we haven't discovered it yet, 
right? There's a, a famous author, his name is Leo Tolstoy. Anyone here heard of Tolstoy? A famous Russian author, written, written many books, famous for his novels called War and Peace and uh, Anna Karenina. He was a famous author, and he, but he experienced a deep moral crisis. And he went into a depression because he thought that everything he valued would die or pass away. And he came into this deep moral crisis, this deep, profound experience. And he had a profound spiritual awakening. You know how? When he started to read the teachings of Jesus, and specifically the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been studying. And as he read this, and he started to reflect on the ethical teachings of Jesus, and that transformed his life. He went from hopelessness to hope. He went from meaninglessness to true meaning. You can read his nonfiction book called A Confession that documents his journey and his insights from this deep depression and despair and and this thought of like, what is the purpose of life and meaning when everything is going to wear away and nothing is going to endure to this understanding from reading the Sermon on the Mount and understanding the true riches that Christ brings. It's also important to understand that this commandment that Jesus is giving here is not a complete prohibition. We see other teachings of Jesus that he says we need to be wise. We need to provide for our family. Abraham was rich and he prospered and God blessed him in that way. In the Proverbs, it talks about the ant who stores up, treasure, stores up food for the, uh, another season. And so it's not to say that we can't have riches in the world. It's not to say that we can't store up things here. It's not like that type of complete prohibition but it's more of a compare and contrast. Jesus is highlighting here the sin of idolatry, where money and wealth and possessions take a greater place in our life than the Lord Jesus. Luke 12 in verse 15 says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. But then the Lord says after this, store up treasure in heaven. Because if you do, your heart will be there also. Now, for the Jewish people of the day who were listening to Jesus teach and talk and listen to the Sermon on the Mount, storing up treasure in heaven was something that was very real for them. They were taught and they believed that the kind deeds and the good acts that you do here on heaven, here on earth, become treasure in heaven. There's a story of a man named King Monobaz. He was, a, this is a Jewish, a Jewish rabbi tells this story, how he was um, who he converted to Judaism, and he distributed his treasures one year to the poor during a year of famine. His brother sent to him and said, your fathers gathered treasures and, and added to those of their fathers, but you've dispersed them. He's, so they said, look, your fathers had so much treasure and they kept adding more and more treasure. Now in one year, you've given everything away. His response was this. He said, my fathers gathered treasure for below. I have gathered treasures for above. My father's gathered treasure of money. I have gathered treasures in souls. My father's gathered treasures for this world. I have gathered treasures for the world to come. See, the treasure that lasts is love. First Corinthians 13 speaks about that. And so we must learn to love God, making him our master, making him our Lord, and learn to love others. These are the two great commandments. And if we're able to do this, this is the way that we can even store up treasure in heaven. Jesus taught through his parables, through his sermons, that we should care for others. That even giving a cup of cold water to somebody, there will be a reward. Look at that verse in Matthew 10, 42. And if you, have, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of these my followers, you will surely be 
rewarded. Now, we have to remember a key difference here. Our good works and our deeds do not save us. Okay? Salvation is through the sacrifice of Jesus. Salvation is through what Jesus did on the cross in dying for us and forgiving our sins. Right? So we're not saved because of our good works. We are saved because of the good work that Jesus did for us. But we are saved in order to do good works, to bless others, right? Now, we shouldn't do it for the reward, but we should do it out of a heart of love for God. Remember the initial statement and the reason that that initial paragraph, the bottom part is the reason why we do all of these things, right? Because Jesus is our Lord. The early church knew this principle because they cared for, they were very mindful and cared for the poor, for the widows, the orphans, and those in need. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he always sought out the disenfranchised, the outcast, the despised, the rejected, the ones who no one cared for. And he wanted to help them. He wanted to invest into them. And we also, with our lives, should make the same investment as what the Lord was doing. And that can't be lost. That can't grow old. That can't be destroyed. As the saying goes, what we keep, we will lose. What we spend, we will have. There's a story of a young man. He's known as a rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. He had so much wealth and, and prosperity. And he asked, how, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him to keep the commandments. And he said, look, I've done all of that. Then Jesus responds here in, Matthew, in Mark 10. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then what will you have? Treasure in heaven. Can you see how this, as Jesus exhorts us in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 to lay up treasure in heaven. It's this idea of using our wealth and our riches and our resources, our talents and our abilities to bless others and thereby pushing forward the kingdom of God, pushing forward the principles of the kingdom of God, pushing forward the, the way God's kingdom works and so, so that others can be saved, others can come to know the Lord and they will be found in heaven. We need to use our resources, our time, our wealth, our money, our talents, and our abilities for the furtherance of God's kingdom and to invest in souls, to invest in people. The Sermon on the Mount, it's like the constitution of the kingdom of God. It outlines how the citizens of the kingdom should act. It outlines how we should live our lives. And part of this, you know, there's a lot that Jesus said about money. And in this little section here, he outlines this idea of how instead of storing up treasure on earth, we should be storing up treasure in heaven, investing how God has invested into us, reinvesting that in God's kingdom, in kingdom purposes, in kingdom principles, in in ways in which the gospel can go forth. First Timothy 6, 17 to 19 says, Paul, Paul tells Timothy to teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, right? Again, going back to Matthew 6, what Jesus is saying about worldly wealth. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in what? good works and generous to those in need always being ready to share with others and there's some tough verses here right or it's easy for everyone else just tough for me by doing this they will be storing up what treasure 
as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I think when we learn to live generously, when we learn to give, when we learn to share, when we learn this kingdom principle of generous living, we find what true life really is. We should be measuring our life not by the riches of this world, but, what, by, but by what God calls true riches. Invest in Jesus, invest in our relationship with him, and the overflow of that will be the blessing that we are to those that are around us. Luke 16, 11 says, and if you, tr- if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? If, if we're not able to use the wealth and the blessing that God has given to us, the riches that God has given to us, how will he entrust into us the true riches of heaven? Here's the question. Where is your heart today? Because that's where your treasure is, Right? We will make decisions on our life based on this. Where we spend our money, where we invest our time, how we use our resources, it's all dependent on where our heart is, right? Show me a person, show me how a person spends their money, and I'll show you where their heart is, right? Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we have, we've been seeing how Jesus connects everything back to the heart. And here he gives this very unique saying, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He wants us to focus on the attitude of our heart when we have treasure on earth and also in heaven. Socrates, the great Greek philosopher said, I conceive that people's wealth and poverty are to be found not in their real estate, but in their hearts, right? The young adults uh, are going through a study called the blessed life. We're doing it on Friday nights. We're meeting this Friday as well. And we're going through the study called the, best, the Blessed Life by a pastor named Robert Morris. And it's the best uh, teaching that I've ever heard about giving and generosity and life and how all of this is connected together. And I, I'm really appreciative of our young adults and how they're really taking this hard, even though it's really challenging, some of these things about tithing and offering and giving. But Robert Morris tells a story. Um, and I'm going to give a little spoiler here for our young adults. He'll tell the story on Friday, but I'm going to use it today. Um, but he tells this, he tells this story about how when he was first saved, when he first came to know Jesus, when he first came to this relationship with Christ, and he was so grateful, so full of the love of God, he just wanted to tell everyone about it. He wanted to share that blessing with others. And so he had this thing called tracks, right? And we have some in our, in our welcome center that just gives the gospel message. And when he would go out to a restaurant, he would leave a track there with some, with a tip. But then he found that people weren't really reading the track. So he went with him and his wife, they prayed, and they thought, you know what, we're going to give extravagantly. And so they went for, for a meal one day, and he said the meal was about 10 bucks, but they got, gave a $50 tip. But inside the $50 tip was a track. A few weeks later, they came back to the same restaurant. And when they came back to that, to that restaurant, that waitress was there, and she came running to them and said, I've been waiting for you to come back. I read that track that you left behind, and I gave my heart to Jesus. And I called my husband and I read him the track. And he gave his heart to Jesus. And, and, and Pastor Robert Morris said, what do you mean you called him? Where, where was he? He's in prison. And a, and a little while later, Pastor Robert Morris said he had, him and his wife had the privilege after this man was released from prison, when they came out, he had the privilege to see them baptized in water. I don't know about you, but I think that's a great $50 investment. 
right? This is what it means when, when here, when the Lord is talking about how we use our money, how we lay up treasure in heaven is to invest in kingdom purposes, to invest in kingdom principles, to invest in ways in which the gospel will go forth. Let me keep going here. Number two, what is, the next question is, what kind of eye do you have? Right? So the contrast here is between an evil eye and a good eye. And the method is through a vision of generosity and grace. Now, this verse, these verses here in Matthew 6, 22 and 23 are really interesting. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light with, uh, within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's an interesting couple of verses that are here. But what we need to understand is the context. Because these two verses here are actually sandwiched between two sections on stewardship. We just saw this first section, right? About stewardship. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lay up treasure in heaven. What we'll see right after this section is again about, about stewardship. You can't serve God and money. So this middle part is just right there, sandwiched in between these two sections about, about stewardship. But actually, one way in which these verses can be translated, um, when it says here, if your eye is good, another version says, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. The eye here is seen here as like a gateway or a window into a person's life, and it's connected with light. Sandwiched between these two other comparisons, that, we, that one which we've seen already, right? Treasure in earth or treasure in heaven, and which we're going to see, serving God or serving money. Sandwiched in between these two is this thing about a good eye or an evil eye, another comparison. If you're reading in the NIV Bible, you'll see a little footnote that says, when it says healthy, the Greek implies generous. When it says unhealthy, the Greek implies stingy. The Greek word that's actually used here for healthy is called haplos, and it can be translated a few different ways, but often it's translated in, the, old, in the, old, the Greek version of the Old Testament as generous. Even in James 5, that same root word of haplos is the word that's used to describe God as a generous God. Similarly, the word used for unhealthy, poneros, is in, in Proverbs, it's used to speak about someone who is stingy, Right? In, in Matthew 20, Jesus tells a, a parable, a story of people working in the field. And so the master went out early in the morning and hired a bunch of people to come and work in the field, right? And, they, and, and he agreed with them to pay them a day's wage. And then later on, he went and he saw some more people standing around, so he hired them as well. He went out a couple more times, hired more people. Finally, when there was only one hour left in the day, he went out and he hired some more people. They only worked for one hour. Finally, when the end of the day came, he told the foreman, okay, go and pay everyone. Start with the last people, pay them a day's wage, and go all the way up to the people that started at the beginning. And so the, the people that only worked an hour, they came, and they got a day's wage. The first group of people, what are they thinking? Man, if these guys got a day's wage, what am I going to get? Right? But then as he kept paying, when it came to the first group of people, what did they get? A day's wage. And they were upset, and they said, how come these people that only work for one hour is getting the same amount as me? And the master said, did we not agree for one day's wage? But here's the interesting thing. In Matthew 20, verse 15, it says, don't I have the right, this is the master speaking, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? Another translation says, right? Is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good. Here's the difference between a good eye and an evil eye, between a healthy eye and an unhealthy eye, between a generous eye and a stingy eye. They can't see. 
that generosity, mercy, and grace is something better than money. The evil eye, the unhealthy eye, the stingy eye can't see that generosity, mercy, and grace is better than money. See, Judas in the Bible was the same way. There was a time when Jesus was in one house and a woman came and broke a very expensive bottle of perfume, a whole year's wages upon Jesus. What was Judas's evil eye looking at? He said, why was this waste? We could have taken that perfume and sold it. Jesus said, no, 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 she broke it for me. See, the evil eye doesn't see generosity, mercy, and grace as a good thing, but they see money as something that's better. Money is more important than doing good for others. The evil eye makes someone full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? The unhealthy eye makes someone full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? The stingy eye makes someone full of darkness. And oh, how great is that darkness? But the good eye fills us with light. It helps us to see God and his kingdom principles as a great treasure. A good eye is a generous eye that sees someone in need and buys them groceries, that supports a missionary as they work for the Lord, that helps the homeless in distress, that sponsors a child in need of education, that prays with someone that's going through a trial, that visits someone in prison, that makes a meal for the sick person, that uses their education to give advice to someone in need, that uses their talents like singing or playing an instrument to bless someone who's discouraged, that helps open the door in a work environment for, that is for someone in a financial need, that takes the gospel to someone in despair. That's the good eye. That's the generous eye. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. The good eye is willing to spend money, like Pastor Robert Morris in the story that I just told you, to promote kingdom values and kingdom principles. The good eye looks for ways to be a generous eye, seeking how they can use their time, their money, their resources, their energy, their strength, their talents, their abilities for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. The good eye stores up treasure in heaven and seeks to serve God, not, not money. We need to be moved, inspired, motivated into this radical, open-handed lifestyle which Christ calls us to live. The Sermon on the Mount, this is radical living. The kingdom of God is in stark contrast to the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God and kingdom principles are in stark contrast. And when it comes to this issue of money, it all touches us very deeply and profoundly because to put our hand and take something out, oh, it takes a lot of work. And that's why Jesus spends time to talk about this. The good eye doesn't value money over people, but values people, mercy, grace, generosity, kingdom principles, kingdom values, and a kingdom vision over money. Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. We live in such an affluent society here in Markham. We, such an affluent society here in Canada. Let's have a good eye, a healthy eye, a generous eye that promotes kingdom principles. I'm so blessed here at, at Unionville Alliance Church because we have so many people that are such generous supporters of things that we do. For example, Toronto Alliance Church and being able to make sandwiches and give donations and even their time to go and minister to the people there. We, we just prayed for our Christmas shoe boxes and how people spent time and money and energy to be able to do that. 
socks and, and, and underwear drives that are going to be starting, hampers of hope that you heard the announcement on, and how we can invest into that, and how we can use our money and leverage our resources for good. That someone will be blessed and will be encouraged and then ask the question, why are they doing this? We have our global advance fund that helps missionaries overseas through the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Recently, we had some mission trips, one to Peru and, and the Peavers went to, to Africa recently and, and our church was so giving in those things. Summer camp scholarships. People are so giving to be able to do that. And that is such a blessing. We have our Christmas dinner. And let me tell you, in our Christmas dinner, when you sign up, there's an option there where you can say, I want to donate an adult ticket or I want to donate a, a child's ticket and help someone maybe that is in need that would like to come to this. Our motivation and reason for giving should be Jesus. Our method of giving should be with a vision of generosity and grace to others so that the gospel can spread And the practice of giving should be to lay up treasure in heaven. This is what we see in these three things. Starting from the bottom, the motivation and reason for giving should be Jesus. He's our Lord. We're going to look at that. That's our last point. And right now, the method of our giving should be with a vision of generosity and grace so that the gospel can spread. And what we already saw, the practice of our giving is to lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth. 1 John 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. This is, this, is where we're, this is why we're motivated. This is why we do what we do, is because of the love of God. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. See, this, this kingdom living, this Sermon on the Mount, this constitution that Christ outlines, it's, it's difficult, it's hard. And it's radically opposed to some of these things that we even see in, in, in the world about just storing up for ourselves and, and keeping things for ourselves. Here's a picture, if you can see, of some statistics. This is from a 2010 survey done in, in Canada. And if you can see at the bottom there, some of you might not be able to read, but underneath there it says, why Canadians give? And it gives some percentages, but the highest percentage, 89%, feel compassion for those in need. This is giving to charitable organizations, nonprofit organizations. In the world that we live in today, there is a high value on giving to charities, to nonprofits. In, In the world in general, there's a high value for that. It's seen as a good thing. But the problem is, is there, there's a disconnect between giving and the reason for giving. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus connects the two. And he says, giving needs to be connected to the reason for giving. And that's because Jesus is Lord. Unfortunately, in the world, people don't realize that the Judeo-Christian ethic of giving and supporting others, which is a high value in the world right now, where it's rooted and founded in is in Jesus. And unfortunately, there's a disconnect that's there right now, right? And that's why here it says 89% feel compassion for those in need, and that's the reason that they give. It's, it's a high value culturally. But is it connected to the reason for giving? There's a disconnect that's there because they have just the value, but they don't realize years and years before this, this value became high because of the Judeo-Christian ethic of loving your neighbor and loving others, Right? This is, this is what the study said. 
It said, people who are more religiously active, i.e. those who attend religious meetings or services at least once a week, are more inclined to donate, and on average, they make larger donations. In 2010, 93% of them had given money to one or more charitable or nonprofit organizations, and their average annual donation was $1,004. In comparison, 83% of donors who attended less often or not at all had donated, and their average annual donation was $313. Studies have shown that people with strong religious convictions also often have stronger pro-social and altruistic values, which motivate them to give more of their time and money to others. So even here, the government of Canada acknowledges this, but look at their conclusion. They acknowledge this, but their conclusion is, there are many reasons that might explain the gap between religious people who practice regularly and those who are less active, and these reasons may have different effects depending on religious affiliation. They don't know what to come to the conclusion about. The conclusion is this, outlined in the Sermon on the Mount, because there's a disconnect culturally, because they've disconnected the Judeo-Christian ethic of loving your neighbor and caring for others, that's a disconnecting culture today. But Jesus connects the dots here in the Sermon on the Mount and say, if you make me your Lord and Master and Savior, then out of that, you will have a vision of generosity, a vision of grace, a vision to bless others, and in turn, you will do what? Lay up treasure in heaven. What they don't take into consideration, what the government of Canada doesn't take into consideration is the motive for our giving, the desire to advance kingdom principles, and that's one of the reasons why we need to give. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second Corinthians 9.11 says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. God's enriched us so we can be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. See, Jesus talked a lot about money because there's a connection to our heart. What can we do today to advance the kingdom of God? Through our time, through our resources, through our money, through our abilities, and to our talents. When Jesus lived in this world, there were a bunch of women that ministered to him out of their resources. They traveled with Jesus and blessed him and ministered to him. Now, of course, there were times when Jesus fed the 5,000. That wasn't really a daily miracle. But he still needed some food to start off with. How many of you here have heard of William Tyndale? Anyone here heard of William Tyndale? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to come up. You can put your hand up. Anyone here, you've heard of William Tyndale, right? Tyndale gave us the English Bible at the cost of his own life. He learned Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, translated the scriptures into English. He wanted to bring the word of God to the common man, even though it was illegal at the time. Here's the next question. How many of you here have heard of Humphrey Monmouth? Anyone? Humphrey Monmouth. Okay, Elaine has. If it wasn't for Humphrey Monmouth... William Tyndale might not have been as successful as he was because Humphrey Monmouth was a London businessman who met Tyndale and heard about his ambition and desire. Because of his generosity, he was able to fund Tyndale's translation work and distribution. He housed Tyndale, and when the Bible was ready, he leveraged his business connections to use ships to smuggle the Bible throughout Europe, throughout the English Empire. Monmouth introduced Tyndale to other London merchants who would also help Tyndale. Even as the king tried his best to find all these English Bibles, destroy them, burn them, take them out of circulation, Monmouth had this huge distribution network with these ships and Bibles were just spreading all over the place. Monmouth ended up in prison 
because of what he was doing. Tyndale died for the cause, but, but within two years, the king of England ordered that every parish should have a copy of the English Bible. He leveraged his resources. He leveraged what God had blessed him with for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. He found a place where he said, I'm going to invest into this man. I'm going to invest into this purpose. I'm going to invest into spreading the gospel through the word of God in English. And because of what he did, we don't know his name now, hardly, except Elaine, that's it. We don't know who this, who this man is. Oh, but his name is recorded in heaven, and I know that there are treasures laid up for him there. Because he leveraged what God had given to him for good. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this testimony very quickly of, of Catherine Say. This is from a website called Gospel Patrons. Catherine Say, she says, I live in San Francisco with my husband, Eugene, and I'm currently working at LinkedIn. I did not grow up in a Christian home, and from the earliest age, my father always talked to me about the importance of acquiring income-producing assets, so I'm definitely a natural investor. Fast forward to age 25, I was moved by the generosity of a few Christian friends that I wanted to know the God they worshipped. I'll read that again. She said, I was moved by the generosity of a few Christian friends that I wanted to know the God they worshipped. That realization eventually led me to Christ. And so my faith journey is one and the same as my generosity journey. When I became a follower of Jesus, I realized that everything I own belongs to him. For years, I spent money aimlessly, believing that because I worked hard, I deserved whatever I could afford. However, upon deeper reflection, I realized that everything in my life from my sacrificial parents, from my sacrificial parents, to, my, to many career opportunities were actually gifts from him. With that in mind, Eugene and, I want, Eugene and I want any windfalls of salary increases to result in a raising standard of giving, not a rising standard of living. I equate treasuring Jesus with first seeking the kingdom of God. For me, it is far too easy to get caught up in idols and surround giving such as placing an overemphasis on living simply or giving to build up my own ego. When we're not careful about first seeking the kingdom of God, giving can be used to serve our own needs. Constant and fervent prayer that our giving is truly an act of treasuring him is how we grow in this area. I wish I knew the pervasive and often undetectable influence in our culture on our lives. It's far too easy to let cultural opinions of our day influence how we live our lives and not our true calling of following Christ. Our giving process is not very scientific. During our financial planning meetings, my husband and I discuss our giving goals and areas we want to prioritize. As an example, this year, outside of church giving, we are primarily focused on supporting small local organizations that seek to empower marginalized groups through spiritual formation and building tangible skills. We love to support nonprofits that give a hand up and not a handout. We also set aside funds for spontaneous giving to ensure that we are always seeking opportunities to give, whether it be to nonprofits or a person in need. While I still fail at this pretty often, my ultimate aim is to love God and love my neighbors. See, her testimony of giving was changed because of this radical generosity that she, that she saw. 
Now, I know the musicians have come, and so my time is up, but I'm going to do point number three still. Can you all wait with me for a little bit longer? Number three is who do you serve? Money or God? It's a challenge here. But the reason is because Jesus is our master, right? We can't serve two masters. Either we will hate the one or we'll love the other, right? We can't serve two. And, and some, someone might say, well, can't I do both? Can't I earn money and wealth and riches but still serve God? Well, according to this verse, apparently not. If you have these two focuses or ambitions, one will win out. The problem is two different lifestyles, right? One lifestyle is kingdom living. The other is worldly living. Kingdom living is a life of self-sacrifice and service to God. And worldly living is a selfish life and seeking to better oneself. Jesus said how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, it's, it's not that money and wealth is wrong because God blesses us and helps us to use that. The, the, the question is, how does it relate to our heart? 1 Timothy 6 and verse um, 9 and 10 say, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires and plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from their true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's tough. And there's a tough thing that I'm trying to say as well because it challenges me. Judas longed to be rich and even sold Jesus and he chose money over Jesus. But following the example of the Apostle Paul that he says in Philippians that he said, I once thought these things were valuable. He, he thought that they were great things, but he considers them all a loss. Why? To win Christ. I think we have some tough decisions to make. Treasure on earth or treasure in heaven? A generous eye or a stingy eye? To serve God or to serve money? I think if we seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, then everything else will be added. I'm going to close with the story, and so yeah, now the singers and musicians can come. But I, 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 I wanted to close with the story, and I don't think if I tell it in my own words, it's as good as reading it in his own words. This is a story of Mark, Mark Green. I'll read you his story, because I think it's very profound said, in 1970, my father, David Green, borrowed $600 to buy a chopper and some wood to make frames. As a nine-year-old, I started working so I could buy baseball cards. I can still remember I got paid nine cents per frame to glue them together. Two years later, my dad opened a 300-square-foot arts and craft store. Since then, our family has not stopped opening Hobby Lobby stores. Anyone heard of Hobby Lobby? Big, huge chain in the United States. Giving was the reason that my dad opened his own retail store. He was a preacher's kid, and all, of, and all five of his siblings were either preachers or married to preachers at some point. But my dad knew he did not have the preaching gift. Instead, he watched his mother be a widow's mite, sacrificial giver. And that sacrifice made such an impact on him that he wanted to build a business that could eventually give away 50% of its profits. Now, the most joyful thing our family does is, is give together. 
We work hard and then come together to give away the profits to ministries that are making impact on souls for eternity. Let me tell you, dear people of God, we're not all going to be maybe like Billy Graham and go all over the world and preach the gospel and do all those things, but God has gifted each and every one of you in a different way. God has gifted me in a way. God has gifted you in a way. And we have to take all those giftings and leverage that for good. Because Jesus is our Lord, let's have a vision of generosity and grace to bless others, whether it's through business, whether it's through the word of God, whatever it might be. If you have $1 or a million dollars, it doesn't make a difference. It's how do we leverage that for good, for kingdom purposes. God's love is the most generous thing that I've ever received. For God to send his son to die for my sins is a gift that I can never repay. Not only did he send his son, but he allowed him to stay on the cross when he could have stopped it at any time. As a father, I can't imagine how much this hurt God to watch his son be crucified. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave, and through God's generous love, I can have a personal relationship with Jesus forever. As a 16-year-old, I was frustrated that my dad would not buy me a car when I knew he could afford to do so. Now, as I look back, I realized that my dad was teaching me stewardship. Looking back, I can remember those who bought their cars knew the hours of work it took to buy that car and took care of it in a whole different way. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can help lead our hearts to truly treasure Jesus by giving our money to what Jesus cares about. I'm going to read that again. We can help lead our hearts to truly treasure Jesus by giving our money to what Jesus cares about. Generosity is a gateway to intimacy with God. If it is because we believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is the ultimate treasure, that we want to live a generous life. It was February 7th, 1998, on a trip to Guatemala, that I witnessed a man named Gasper, whom God would use to change my life. Gasper had been waiting and working for 40 years to see God's word translated into his language of Eastern Jalatek. And finally, at a Bible dedication ceremony, I watched as Gasper was handed his very own copy of the Bible. He openly wept. His weeping over his Bible convicted me. I had over 40 Bibles in my home, and yet they all sat idle most of the time. I made a vow So on February 8th, 1998, at 2 a.m. in the morning, I made a vow to the Lord that I would get up first thing each morning and read his word. Over 19 years later, I have not missed a morning, and it is the most important time of day. See, he's taken his, his resources, his money, his wealth, and leveraged it for good. He started an organization called, uh, called uh, Every tribe every nation and it seeks to translate the bible and seeks to bring the word of god in its native language to people who don't have it see it doesn't matter if you're a big ceo of a big company it doesn't matter if you don't seem like you have a lot of talents and abilities god has blessed all of us uniquely and differently the question here remains how will we leverage that for kingdom purposes how will we leverage that for good how will we leverage that so the gospel can spread to have this vision of generosity this vision of grace to bless others because jesus is lord let's lay up treasure in heaven let's sing this song as a sacrifice as a offering to the lord as a dedication to the lord let's all stand and let's ask the lord to help us